Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. This episode, entitled The Voices of the Community, was given on December 16, 2018 by Bethany Shea in the series Advent People. Um, so we are in our third Sunday of Advent. We looked at Zechariah and his voicelessness. We looked at Mary and this this idea that Maybe the Christmas story of Mary is oftentimes tucked in between, uh, between Santa Claus and fairy tale types of stuff because it feels so impossible for a baby to be born in such a way. And so it's like, well, we'll just bring Mary out when we can hide Mary with Santa. But what we see is that God is the God that brings about possibilities when everyone else in the world would say things are impossible. And for me, I feel like there's a lot of impossibilities in my life sometimes. And I look to this story of Christ's birth and realize that God is absolutely present and makes things totally possible where I would feel like I would not be able to get my head out from underneath the water. I don't know how you guys feel when you feel impossible, but know that God is totally there in those places. And today we're going to look at God as a God of comfort It doesn't mean that God doesn't allow us to go through certain things and there's certain horrific things that happen in the world, but we know that God's presence is one of comfort and that God weeps with those who weeps. So we're going to look at the story of of Joseph finding out about Mary. We're going to look at the story of Herod finding out, the King Herod finding out that Jesus was born, the Magi who came, and then Herod's ruthlessness of attacking all of those children and killing them, especially looking at how uh, Jesus and his family fled to Egypt as immigrants when they were fleeing oppression. So that's where we're going to be today. So before we get into it, I want to just pray and, uh, and welcome Christ's presence and be aware of the presence of God. Um, and so if you don't mind holding out your hands as a way to release this time, we're going to pray over this time together. Lord God, we are here because we want to experience your love in our lives. We have gathered here because we know that when two or three are gathered in your name, your presence is just that much more palatable and, and palpable and, and, and aware, we're more aware of it. And so God, we pray that your presence is very clear in our lives. I know that for me, sometimes Christmas can bring up all sorts of Feelings of um, of mourning the people who have we I have lost over the years, Lord. Of experiencing the estrangement in the lives of my friendships, of recognizing who is not around the table. And so, God, I pray that you are the God of comfort during this time, as we anticipate your birth, Jesus. As we anticipate this renewal and rebirth, like like Ray mentioned, Lord. God, what a joy it is to be here. So, Lord, we release this time before we before you. And, Lord, our hands are also open to receive. And we know that you have something for each of us in this room. So we receive from you what you have. May we receive it with great joy. May we be re- transformed by your love once again. We love you. We praise your name. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Ooh, they're in agreement. So uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, I don't know if anybody's ever like been in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's an Old Testament book. It feels really depressing, but also really fun at the same time. 
The writer of Ecclesiastes opens his essay by saying that there's nothing new under the sun. He says, he says, is any is there anybody who can say, look, this is something new? And then he says, that was here already. It was here before our time. There is nothing new under the sun. And I think that today's readings of Advent that we'll get into in just a bit, it shows how much truth Ecclesiastes holds based on our own societal climate. There's a reason that we take the Bible seriously. There's a reason that we look at the stories of the Bible, and it's because that the stories of the Bible simply highlight the human story. What we see is is that within these stories and within our own lives, we get this sense that maybe there's something new or a reordering in the world happening right under the surface of our lives and right under the surface of these biblical stories. Seriously, Ray, I love that you said the rebirth and renew because that's exactly what this story shows. It shows up this sense of renewal and a rebirth that can happen in the most dire of circumstances. And so we look at what's happening in the world around us and and we look at this, these scriptural stories that maybe the reality of, of pride and, and selfishness or complacency and appropriation has always existed within the human heart. But even though that is true, we know that there's something deeper and a truer reality that God has created us for. We know that we aren't meant to live in a state of perpetual pride and appropriation, We are meant for something greater and deeper, and we can feel this like undercurrent happening in the world around us. Breaking forth in the middle of this world that has been built on pride and violence comes God in flesh. It comes comes this baby, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, this vulnerable baby who was born in a vulnerable and powerless time to a very powerless and impoverished family where the father isn't even the baby's birth dad. God in flesh was born in a state of scandal during a time of great political unrest and terrible violence. And how many children today are born into a state of scandal during a time of great political unrest and terrible violence? There's nothing new under the sun. Last week, a seven-year-old Guatemalan girl named Jacqueline died in Border Patrol custody as her father had fled difficult situations and circumstances in Guatemala that he was hoping to provide a better life for her and for themselves in the United States. And there are so many complicated pieces to this story where it comes to what about the legality of them being here or her father not knowing to bring her medical needs to the attention of the authorities or why didn't the Border Patrol do their due diligence of seeing that she was a child in need when they took her in. There's, There's so many circumstances here. But regardless, this was a child whose family decided what was best for her, and she didn't have a say in it. And we need to trust what the family was doing was the most important thing for her, even though it doesn't feel right. Kind of like what Christ went through as a vulnerable baby, escaping the oppression of King Herod into a foreign land, 
Jesus had no say in that matter. They had to leave their country, this daughter and father, travel on foot with limited resources to an unknown land, hoping they would be received and cared for until they could find their footing. Jacqueline died last week, and there are so many people mourning her death. And this is a tragedy. And I believe that God weeps alongside those who weeps, alongside the mothers and the fathers who are weeping this horrible, horrible tragedy. I believe that God is there with them in it. But the story of Jacqueline is not a new story because nothing is new under the sun. But maybe how we respond to these stories might be that new thing that is needed. I believe that this story in the Bible that we'll read today is our story. And they are given to us because God wants to reorder these stories, wants to reorder our lives, so that the stories in our lives today of death and sadness, of violence and power and pride no longer dominate. So the stories of of what's happening in the world around us, the happening in our own lives, these stories become old news as a new way of living and being in the world continues to break forth, as God inspires us to live in a different sort of way in this world. During the time of God in flesh, named Jesus Christ, during the time of his birth, there was a king who ruled in Judea. This king wasn't established because he was worthy of this place. It's not like he he rose to power because he was the person that was meant to be in that sort of space. He was actually placed in Jerusalem by Caesar. All of Israel knew that he didn't deserve that state. They knew that he didn't deserve the throne. And so his name was his name was King Herod. He called himself Herod the Great. And it was during this time that Herod was like constantly trying to prove himself to his Jewish people. Like, look, I deserve this place. I deserve to be here. They put me here, but I'm supposed to be here. And so what he does to prove his worth is he rebuilds the temple in Jerusalem. It was destroyed hundreds or years and years earlier. And so he decides to rebuild this temple in all of its greatness, making it even greater than it's ever been before. But he names the temple Herod's Temple. Even though the people are happy that there's a temple there to house God, it's Herod's temple. And then he places this huge golden eagle in the front of it as this way of paying homage and respect to Rome in front of God's temple. And he goes back and forth like this, wanting to appease the people of Israel while at the same time wanting to be appeasing Rome. He was fully controlled by Rome. He was called a puppet king. They kind of moved him where he needed to be, and he went where they wanted him to go. He was fully dependent on Rome to keep his status in place. Herod was ruthless. He was cruel. He was unconcerned for the lives or the experiences of of the other people around him. Herod saw everyone, even a vulnerable baby, as a potential threat to his political stability, to his own status as king. A baby was a threat to him. He murdered his wife. He murdered his son. He killed countless family members because he was so paranoid that they would take his throne away from him or try to overrule him in some way. So he had them put to death. 
This was a man with an identity crisis. He was fully uncomfortable in his own skin. And oftentimes those who aren't perfectly comfortable in their own skin and in who God has made them to be will try on other people's skin at the cost of those around them with no understanding or acknowledgement of other people's experiences or their lives. And when someone in power has the collateral damage of other humans around their feet to protect the image they desire to project, there is nothing new under the sun. So we're going to get into some passages of scripture. If you want to grab a Bible around you, we're going to read three different passages today. The first one will show that there is nothing new under the sun. It's Jeremiah, which is in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah. So it goes Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And Psalms is kind of in the middle. We're going to be in Jeremiah 32. Anybody have any thoughts so far about nothing new under under the sun? Anything coming up before we get into this reading? All right. Yeah, Talia. Yeah. Kind of making that sort of negative comparison towards uh, the past and then saying how well we all have it today. But I think, like, the passage is going to say, is like everything is still the same. It just yep. looks a little bit different and functions a little bit differently. But we still have the same, I guess, for lack of a better word, the evil present. Mm. And ways that we put each other. Yeah, totally. Anything else? All right, so we're going to read verses 31 to 35, uh, chapter 32 in, in Jeremiah. And this is, this is God speaking through the words of Jeremiah. He says, uh, from the day it was built until now, this city has so aroused my anger and wrath that I must remove it from my sight. The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they have done. They, their kings and officials, their priests and prophets, the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem. They turn their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to discipline. They set up their vile images in the house that bears my name and defiled it. They built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Moloch, though I never commanded, nor did it ever enter my mind that they would do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. We'll stop there. What do you see there? What's coming up from this? The, the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, that it says in verse 35, is, uh, is also called Gehenna, which is outside the city gates of Jerusalem. And Gehenna, or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, is where, we just read, where people would sacrifice their children to Baal to appease this god of 
this god was known for fertility and also for lightning and for the weather. I mean, it was just like a god that encompassed a lot. And so they would sacrifice their children there. And when God, when Jesus speaks about hell in the Bible, he's speaking about, the word is used as Gehenna when he talks about hell. This is, when, when Jesus says this is what hell looks like, hell looks like the place where you throw your babies to the altar of a god. This is what hell looks like on earth, Jesus says. Turn with me to Micah chapter 5. It's just a few chapters over, I mean, sorry, a few books over Joel, Amos, Micah. Joel, Amos, Jonah, Micah, thank you. Obadiah, no, I missed a few. Joel, Micah, no, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. We should have sword drills in here. Do you guys remember doing that in Sunday school when you were a kid? Sword drills? And like the people who had the little tabs in their Bible were totally cheating, remember that? Oh my gosh. Whoever won the, whoever turned to the chapter first and the verse first and stood up, they, they like got gold stars in heaven and they'll have a, a better place in God's kingdom, I'm sure of it. <laughs> so Micah chapter 5. So what we read before was like people are, are hurting other, the most vulnerable of, of, of our society, the most vulnerable that we are meant to protect. People are throwing their babies away. There is no hope for Jerusalem, it looks like. And then we read in uh, Micah 5, we'll read verses 2 to 4. Uh, It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of, his, of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And then the top of verse 5, and he will be our peace. All right, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 will be in verse 18 to 25. Does somebody want to read verses 18 to 25? We're going to read quite a bit in here. Chapter 1, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Yeah, thanks, Megan. Can somebody else read uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12? Yeah, thanks, Scott. 
after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when, when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you. Now we're going to read verses 13 to 15, and I can do that. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. So we'll end there. I love that passage. Oftentimes that passage isn't read until after Christmas, but um, I think it's appropriate for now. I believe that Jesus is that something new under the sun. And I don't think that Jesus is like a magic bullet necessarily, or certainly doesn't solve the world's problems in the way a dictator might or a ruler might. Jesus is found not on a throne, like Herod or in a palace like Caesar, Jesus is found in the most vulnerable of places. Jesus is first found in a feeding trough. And then Jesus is found fleeing the oppression and the violence by immigrating to a new land, hoping to be welcomed by the people there. And then Jesus is found praying to his Father in heaven. And Jesus is found eating meals with the people that the religious would deem unredeemable. He's found healing the sick and the disabled and, and the demon-possessed. He is found healing the foreigner in his midst. Jesus is found empowering his male and female disciples by expressing how capable they are in their current state, not who they'll eventually become someday. That they are capable immediately. And never once, Do we read that Jesus is power-hungry or grabbing for the best seat at the table at the cost of other people and those around him? The baby that Herod sought to kill would reveal a different way in the world. 
Instead of seeking and maintaining power, Jesus used power to heal and empower other people. There's a pastor and an author by the name of Brian McLaren. He writes in his book, We Make the Road by Walking. Did we have a slide for that or no? Okay. Uh, he, he, he writes that Jesus came to reveal a vision of God that is reflected more in the vulnerability of children than in the violence of men, more in the caring of mothers than in the cruelty of kings. And he goes on and he says, all this can sound quite abstract and theoretical unless we take it one step further. The next war, whoever plans it, whoever wages it, will most likely be to resemble every war in the past. It will be planned by powerful old men in the comfortable offices. It will be fought on the ground by people the age of their children and their grandchildren. Most of the casualties will probably be between 18 and 22 years old and some places much younger. So the sad, old music of the ancient story of Herod and the slaughter of the children will be replayed again. And again, the tears of mothers will fall. The way Jesus lived, the way that God in flesh abided on earth was a new thing under the sun. God was reordering the world. He was reordering it through Jesus that reveals this sense of This backwards way of living where you're actually comfortable in your own skin. In the person that God made you as and said that you are very good. And perhaps it's in the state of knowing the Father's love for you. That you then get to bestow that love upon other people. On others that the religious would deem unredeemable. The world would say is unworthy. And in this state, I believe that we are all empowered to refuse to bow to the Herods of this world today in all their ruthless ways of ruling because our loyalty and our attention and our honor and our worship is on a better king and a better kingdom. And this is something new that can be reborn in the world and reborn in us. This is what the story of Herod tells. This is why the Herod story isn't placed somewhere in the back of the Bible as some sort of embarrassing thing that was happening. This is something that is real life. This is what's happening in the world around us. Babies are dying. And there is a hope that happens that says this doesn't have to keep going on this way any longer. This is not the way the world is meant to be. Christmas time is a season where we see impossible things become possible. And I believe that a new thing is possible, and sometimes that newness comes from a rebirth of sorts. And and a rebirth kind of looks like doing justice. It looks like loving kindness. It looks like walking humbly with our God. And so may this new kingdom and this better king be born with us today, and may we forever be changed by it. May we leave here today entering into this season of Christmas, knowing that 
man, things that the world would say would be impossible, that babies will keep being sacrificed to the God of Baal or the God of Moloch or the God of capitalism or the God of whatever it is that we are sacrificing babies for is, is no longer. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about ways that you can be involved with Catalyst, please visit our website at provokechange.org. Until next time, continue loving God, loving our neighbors, and loving each other.